Hey there DC fans, this is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News, here to give you a special deal from Insight Editions. Insight Editions is an amazing company who uh, sells books and collectibles uh, from all sorts of pop culture, whether it be DC Comics, Marvel Comics, uh, movies like Die Hard, Harry Potter, Alien, everything out there in the world you can you can find you got books collectibles uh pop-up greeting cards they have all kinds of amazing items and right now you can get 35 percent off site-wide by using the code dcnews35 that's dcnews35 dcnews35 use that code and receive 35 percent off site-wide at insighteditions.com Welcome and thank you for joining us for this special edition of DCN, DC Comics News Podcast. We have a very special guest today. With us is the editor-in-chief, along with an illustrious list of writing and editing credits, currently working at Ahoy Comics, Mr. Tom Payer. Hey, how you doing? Oh, wonderful podcast, and I, I hopefully going to be a great interview. Joining us is also my colleague, uh, Ms. Kelly Gaines. Hello, Kendra. Hello, Tom. Hi. All right. Now, I'm, I know both of us have a ton of questions. Not only do we, but some of our colleagues submitted some as well because they were that excited and upset that they couldn't join us. <laughs> oh, so nice. we will be the ones to ask for them. But, Tom, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, those who may not know who you are? Well, I uh, have been working in comics since uh, – well, I've been working full-time in comics since about 1990, which is a long time ago. And uh, I was one of the original editors at DC's imprint, Vertigo. Um, and I worked on stuff like Sandman and Doom Patrol. And after that, I went freelance uh, as a writer. And uh, I did, uh, I wrote Legion of Superheroes for about five years. And after that, I had a, a DC uh, title named Our Man that I was very proud of, H-O-U-R. And... Uh, I bounced and floated around after that for a while, did some Simpsons comics and some Batman 66, which I love. And about four years ago, we started a new company, my friends and I, Ahoy Comics, based out of Syracuse, New York. And uh, we're, de we're dedicated to doing smart, good-looking comics that are also funny on some level and uh, entertaining, and that's what we hope to do quite a staggering list i mean it's like like kelly said earlier we are we are blessed to have you on the show i mean i mean there's there's not much more that can be said i mean you have literally re-envisioned some of the ways that comics are viewed so kelly i'll go ahead and let you start i know we've both got a ton of questions would you mind going ahead and shooting the first one 
All right, absolutely. So I I'm gonna start super basic because you know there there's just so much to get into. But what would you say is the um you know the kind of the the comic that brought you into comics or got your attention on you know reading them as a fan or even just working in comics? Oh, when I was a kid, when I was a little kid, um, Superman was on TV every day, and uh, it just was like a lightning bolt into my head seeing this guy fly and uh, walk around in that costume. I just thought he was the greatest thing in the world. And that led me to comic books. I think a lot of people in my approximate age group have the same origin story, but I got into Superman comics when I was little and um, Marvel back then was really just getting started and they were really interesting. It was a great time to be reading comics. There was a lot of very, there's a lot of stuff out there that was very different from each other. And uh, that mean, we still had funny animal comics. It was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Yeah. And that's, I, I definitely envy that kind of, um, that era. Um, but yeah, Su- Superman being the, the kind of original, original superhero, original pull into comics, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kendra, what about you? What's your first question? I think I'm just going to go ahead and dive in deeper than that. I mean, when it comes to the ones that I, I read to prepare for for this, I, I dug right into Ahoy, and that was the um, the Wrong Earth and Penultimate. Mm-hmm. And I know I probably didn't even say that right. Because You're it's very close. <laughs> very close. I say I say Penultimate Man, but what a Penultimate Man. It's not. It's um, not like I'm the boss of pronunciation. <laughs> but both of these were such intriguing concepts when it came to to the series. I mean, with with Wrong Earth, you have this multi multi dimensional platform. Were there any any inspirations? Because it feels a little bit like Adam Adam West Batman was was in there a bit. Oh, he's one of them. He's one of them. But if you go back far enough. All of the superheroes in comics are like him. That was the Adam West Batman was a very accurate critique of comic books at the time. Um, uh, if, if you were a sophisticated adult back then who didn't love comics and picked one up and read it, you would have found it funny. Uh, I, I never would have because you know I started very young, but they were all just you know uh, status quo upholding. Uh, salute the flag, help old people across the street kind of heroes, uh, which is great. But they were replaced by uh, sort of uh, ultra-violent, vengeance-seeking vigilante heroes in the 80s, and, and that's great, too. You know, So this was, The Wrong Earth is kind of a conversation between the two kinds of comics and what comics were and what they became. And... Uh, um, it's really fun for me to think about and to work on because it, I can just go back and remember my entire comic reading life and something will fit in there. Right. Now, and I mean, incredibly enjoyable conversation. So thank you for that. Oh, thanks. And Jamal Eigel's artwork on the wrong earth, uh, inked by Juan Castro. Jamal has contributed so much in terms of not only the visual atmosphere, but the sensibility and, and ideas and he is a, a co-creator in every respect and it is so much better because he's part of it 
That's awesome. I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm going to pin that. I'm going to pin that, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know what? Actually, I have a question um, going right off. See, I was saying it properly now. I feel like I'm going to say it wrong, but penultimate. Man, there we go. Yeah. Um, Good. It's, it, it is a really interesting take on kind of, uh, you know, an, an inferiority complex and anxieties about not measuring up when, you know, tied into someone who, from our perspective, is, you know, this this perfect Superman-like man. Um, but you do it in a way that is still funny, still refreshing. Um, how, how would you say it is to kind of write that sort of character and balance out something that's, you know, difficult, like self-image, but then at the same time, keep it, um, you know, keep it sort of light? Well, we're all funny, you know, if you look at us a certain way. And um, it's, I think some of the most dramatic stories are the ones with the funniest humor in them. If you go back and look at even, you know, a long time ago, The Sopranos always had comic elements and they were so much funnier than a sitcom would be because um, it was surrounded by all this contrasting drama. And, um, and they... It wasn't structured so that you go for a joke every 20 seconds. So it was funnier. But anyway, I find that life is tragic and funny. And uh, most of the stories I'm interested in are a blend of the two. Very nice. Yeah, yeah awesome. Um, yeah, I, I I like that way of looking at it, actually. That is a very, um, you know... Not not so much that the goal is humor, but that humor is just inherently part of the story. That, that's awesome. Thanks. I, yeah, I, I don't think you can be very entertaining if you're entirely humorless. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. And that was a thing we, we were really clear on, wanting to set Ahoy apart from uh, other comic book companies, is everything we put out is going to be funny on some level. It might not be a comedy, but... But you'll laugh somewhere, somehow. Nice. Awesome. Uh, Kendra, what about you? I think I'm going to go back over to, to the wrong earth because you spoke about how it's really a sounding board between you and Jamal and how you guys have co-created this universe. Mm-hmm. One of the things that struck me as I was going through it were that in the world that is very reminiscent of, of Adam West, um, you have... <laughs> the villains that set up these outrageous gags. And one of my favorites had to be um, Pilgrim and Pilgrimess's teabag <laughs> <laughs> over the kettle. It, I had to stop while I was reading it because I was like, what? <laughs> this was a trap? <laughs> that was a trap. But, I mean, that just shows you how much fun that you guys actually do have. What is one of your favorite traps that you guys got to talk about? Oh, Gee, well, there was the one, Dragonfly is from the dark and gritty earth, and he goes to the campy earth, and he's not used to things there. And um, he he gets trapped in a giant piggy bank that is, uh, <laughs> has like pennies being automatically deposited in it, and it's supposed to drive him crazy until it is full enough to smother him. So being Dragonfly, the guy from the um, from the uh, <laughs> Vengeance Earth, he just he just puts some plastic explosive on it and blows it up and jumps <laughs> out of there. It's like there's no subtlety with him. 
But I like that one. I like that trap a great deal. <laughs> it's in a, he's dying in the lobby of a bank. <laughs> right. No one knows he's in there. <laughs> it is, but that's that's one of the things that you can see the passion for your guys' writing and the attention to detail because those looking back as someone who came in at um, Lady Death is where I came into comics. So I came in with more of the Vengeance Earth than the campy Adam West. Mm -hmm. But you can still see the love that you guys have for that. And it is truly refreshing to see it used in such a unique way. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad the love comes through because I really do love that stuff. I love both those worlds and both those characters. Kelly? So... Sort of branching off of that, but would you say, and uh, not just in Ahoy, but in anything that you've worked on, is there a story or a character that stood out to you as um, the the most fun to work on? Oh, boy, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Uh, There's a bunch, you know. I don't think I have one favorite, but, uh, you know, I like the ones I'm working on now. But I I also like, when I wrote Legion of Superheroes, I loved Brainiac 5, because he was so smart and a little stuck up about it. And I love to um, write stories where uh, he got his comeuppance. And uh, my slogan for a Brainiac 5 story was, sometimes brains are not enough. You need more (laughs) qualities. (laughs) And uh, I love proving that again and again. And I loved Our Man uh, that I worked on. He was a... Grant Morrison created him with Howard Porter, and uh, he was an android from the future, and his origin was kind of the opposite of other heroes' origin. He took his own powers away, because he thought he was too young to handle them, and uh, I loved writing that book, and uh, the first time I ever wrote Superman, I was like, it was like, I don't know, I was shaking like a leaf. (laughs) (laughs) It's like meeting the queen or something. <laughs> I can only imagine, my goodness. Yeah. That's awesome, though. And, and that, I mean, to, to come full circle like that, starting out, you know, as a kid admiring Superman and then get to write it, I, I can't even imagine how fun that would be. And also, yeah, I'd, I'd probably need, I don't know, some kind of a ventilator or something. I would be absolutely a wreck. But that that's awesome, yeah. 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 The tragedy of life is if, you know, after a while, you don't feel it. <laughs> you still find other things to feel good about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kendra, what about you? Um, back over to Penultiman. Um, I know that it says at the end of five that that is the end of the story for it. Um, but is there is there going to be more? This might be uh, the the whole story. The future will tell. Um, I don't have anything else for him after that. I feel like it said what we wanted it to say. But you never know sometimes. Sometimes uh, sometimes you look at a character and go, oh, wait a minute, we can do this. But we just, if he ends up being, uh, if that ends up being just a closed story, I'll be happy enough. I think it worked all right. Well, I mean, it does. I mean, it carries a huge message. It really does. And you did set it up to where at the end of the fifth issue, you don't really feel like there's this huge gaping cliffhanger or that there were any loose ties. It's just 
a love for the character and his robot. Right. I left a little back door open in case we want to come back to it. I saw that note. (laughs) Kelly. So, and going into um, your, your work with Vertigo, because it's obviously Vertigo is just one of the, I think for a lot of comic fans, we found one of our, our first titles, um, you know, at least in, in my generation was a Vertigo title and mm-hmm. you've worked on kind of the the whole gambit of the most iconic titles. What, um, I mean, not not so broad as what was that like, but what um, what kind of goes into editing a book at that point? Um, you know, how how much would you say that you're involved with the the creation process versus checking drafts? Um, yeah, and just it, what what was that experience like? It was great. It was absolutely great. It was the best learning experience I ever had because of the the caliber of the talent I was working with was so far above me that I just I just learned so much from them. Um, You know, Peter Milligan, Grant Morrison and Jimmy Delano and uh, Neil Gaiman. It was it was terrific. Every creative team on every book is is different. That's like a, a different group of people so they'll lean in different directions with some books I might we might have a writer who wants to talk the story out with me before writing it um, to make sure it'll help that you just help them generate ideas if they're talking about it and maybe they want some of my ideas too other other times it's just you just a script shows up and if it's uh, from writers of that caliber it's usually good enough you know more than good right. um and the i mean and the art is so key too they uh sometimes uh sometimes artists work better with feedback sometimes they work better if you leave them alone and uh the whole process and basically the way i describe editing is if uh it's your comic book you're like the parent of the comic book and if somebody tries to hurt the comic book you have to hurt them before they can <laughs> <laughs> like a tiger <laughs> protecting its cubs oh i love that that i i've never thought of that that way oh wow yeah i, I i'm gonna have some other questions about editing and vertigo but kendra you you first <laughs> I'll go ahead and ask the one that I know was brought up a lot by our colleagues, and it sticks along with the editing process. But when working with, with like you said, the big talent like Neil Gaiman mm-hmm. specifically, um, did you have any hint of the impact that that Sandman would have? And looking back, I mean, it was a game changer. How does it feel to have been part of something that made such comic history well I, I wasn't there from the beginning I got there around Sandman it was right at the end of the um, serial killers convention so it would be maybe number 15 in there so, somewhere and by then it was already something you know it already had a big impact and there were times looking around at these books and these creators and what we were doing compared to what uh, other companies and other editorial groups were doing it felt to me like 
EC comics in the 50s or something. Like we were doing something that was going to be remembered. And uh, I think that's true. I'll say it's true. Yeah. I'll yeah. submit it. <laughs> I, I got I I believe a hundred percent that if I had not been there it would have been just the same it would have been just as good. <laughs> I don't know about that. Don't sell yourself. <laughs> well, it, it it was great to be part of it. But you got to look. I mean, Karen Berger was the was the uh, boss editor. And she was such a she really knew what she wanted, and it was not what a lot of other comic book editors wanted, and it was great. And these writers were so spectacular. Um, it was I was just lucky to be there. That's a very humble answer, and I appreciate it. <laughs> Kelly? So what would you say, um, you know, as an editor, was there a specific, a specific piece of advice, or is there, you know, something that you would say just in general to writers that you find yourself... Um, you know, giving the most often? Is there is there something that you think all writers should know, you know, from an editor's perspective going into their stories? Well, um, in, writers with less experience are going through a very painful thing that they're trying to fight, and they shouldn't fight it. And that is, um, when you're writing a comic book, there's no room for anything you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> space is your enemy I mean there are never enough panels to fit on a page there's never enough pages there are never enough issues to tell your story and you just have to learn to work with that you can't just put 12 panels on a page anyway and have one of them be a panoramic shot of the Super Bowl you know, it just doesn't <laughs> work and um, it's fun it's kind of fun and funny to see every single person having to learn the same lessons coming in. And it also kind of affirms you. You look back and go, well, I'm, I was just like everybody else. But the hardest thing to learn is the space thing. And also, um, I like to encourage people to uh, think, really think about character, uh, maybe more than plot. Plot is good, but a story that's too plotty and not enough character is really kind of dull. And, and a good thing is, I, with some experience, I like to leave space in a story I'm writing to surprise myself. Because if I'm entertaining myself, then I have a chance of entertaining somebody else. But if everything's worked out to a T before I start writing, I'm going to get bored and it's going it's to come off dull. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Kendra, what was your next question? I'm still going through the Rolodex. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good answer. I love that it's it's not just that it's insightful. It's that it's a real like it's it's reality based. It's you have to to understand and to hear that you know every that everything has reflections on it where you know okay well i went through this and i see you going through it so that it's it's refreshing to hear that and i mean as someone who's done two major parts of it with the writing and with the editing i mean that's a lot of experience to pull from so thank you 
Um, I guess my next question will will go back to you said that when um, when you were doing Sandman, one of the things was that you saw them doing things differently, um, that it felt more like when DC was rebelling and doing things differently. Is that how Ahoy is? Boy, I'd love to think so. I mean, we just try to do uh, as well as we can. A difference is a really big difference, and not really for the better, is uh, back then we were all in an office together, and we were all working on equipment that the company owned and gave us to use, and we had, uh, you know, you would come in and, and, and talk to your coworkers for a while before you start working, and you'd go out after work maybe sometimes, and now, of course, even before the pandemic, everybody's spread out and they're working from their own homes. And it's not, it's not that same feeling anymore. And, uh, I kind of miss that, but we do have meetings and we have Zoom meetings and stuff. And that makes up for a lot of it, but it's a very different experience. When you're, when you're working at Vertigo in like 1992 and you look around and go, hey, this is us and we're doing great stuff. We might be remembered like EC kind of like in the 50s. It's a little harder to get that feeling when you're just always alone, <laughs> you know, right. in your home office. Uh, uh, but if I, you know, when I look at the books, I really, I'm proud of every one of them. I think, I think they're wonderful. I don't, and, and we're getting more and more fans, so that's good. It'd be nice if they were remembered, but um, I guess I have to worry about today. That's wonderful advice. I mean, and and I mean, not to like help boost ego or anything like that, but I, I will say that I used to be a DC and uh, Marvel fan, and more and more I've branched out. And Ahoy has had some really killer series like Billionaire Island, and now that I've gotten to discover Wrong Earth and and Penultimate and Dragonfly and Dragon Man, I mean Dragonfly Man. These are these are series that are important. So I do hope that they have that last lasting effect that you hope for. Mm-hmm. My, my expectation is that the wrong earth will be, um, will become like a very big blockbuster movie after I'm dead. And everybody, be, oh, it's so sad that he's not here to see this, but that's pretty much probably the way it'll happen. Um, so you know what? Actually, I, I think my next question then, because um, you, I clearly have such a command of characters and making them realistic and complex, and and you know there there's a confidence to that kind of writing. How would you say that you find your characters? Um, you know, and, and what brings them to life for you? Well, you know, like I kind of intimated before, you can sit and write an outline. And you kind of have to, you at least have to know where your story's going. But when you're in there writing panels and you're writing the actual script, that's when you get to know your characters, really. Because at every step, you have to think about, would they do this or this? And um, would this affect them or would that affect them? Would they hate to see this or that? And as you go, you that's when you really, really learn about them. And... Um, there was something that happened in the Wrong Earth story that became the 
the the event that the entire series revolved around, which was the fate of um, Dragonfly's kid sidekick Stinger. And I won't say what it was, but if you read it, you know what it was. But I didn't think of that till I got to that panel. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and it changed the whole comic, I think, for way for the better. So I I had a bunch of stuff planned out. But like I said, you have to be have some spontaneity in there because you'll probably, when you're really down there with the characters walking around in the weeds, um, you'll probably think of something better. Or at least I'm finding that I do. Wow, awesome, yeah. Kendra? I'm going to piggyback off of that. Would you say that that is the biggest difference between writing or even editing for um, for some of the bigger companies than it would be for doing it with Ahoy is that you get to have not necessarily that control, but be able to, to do that spontaneity? Well, again, uh, all working relationships and all creative teams are different. I think you could have that at a big company depending on the people you work with. And there are probably people there that you could never have that with. So it's it's the best thing you can have is a whole creative team that's rowing in the same direction. And uh, if you have that, it almost doesn't matter what the direction is. Fair enough. Kelly? So... I, and I guess we're I'm I'm backtracking a little bit here, but um, you, we we hear a lot from comic creators that there's you know no two people break into comics the same way. Um, how how did you uh, you know end up inside the industry and you know in a place where you're at at basically the the cusp of vertigo and it's it's golden age? Well, you know uh, I didn't become like a full time comics person living off it till I was like 36 years old. I, I came way late. Basically what happened to me was I, um, you know, I didn't live in, years ago it was very helpful if you lived in or around New York City, you could like be visible to these people and, um, and that would help your opportunities. And uh, I didn't, I lived, didn't live that far away, I lived about five hours away. But it might as well have been on the moon for me. (laughs) I didn't. It was something I wanted to do. I didn't have the skills, really. And I didn't really know a way in. But I had a comic strip for a local paper. um, A local alternative weekly paper that I wrote and drew. And it lasted like a dozen years. And um, it happened. And that... And I did a couple other local type things like that, comic-wise. And um, it transpired that uh, the comic writer Roger Stern lived nearby. He was aware of my work. And after knowing him for a while, he uh, he helped me get in. He helped me get into the industry. First, he had me... uh, assist him on some of his scripts, uh, which I would have happily done for the rest of my life, but he felt guilty about it somehow and sort of <laughs> blew me into his editors. And that led to some work assignments that that led to being recommended for uh, the job as Karen's assistant editor. And uh, so I was lucky. I was very lucky. It all, 
you know, it's it has to do with I, I would say I don't know what percentage, probably a very high percentage of origin stories in comics have to do with uh, ending up in, in a in the right friendship or relationship, which is why conventions are so important. And it'll be great to have them back because you can make yeah. if you can make a personal connection um, where they think back on you in a way that is not annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a great asset, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Kendra, what's your next question? With everything that you've written, with, with uh, you know, a pantheon of different characters, is there any story that you feel that you didn't finish? Oh, that's a good, good one. Yeah, I, we did one... Um, well, I, you know, I learned um, at some point, and particularly on Our Man, this is where I really learned this, where if you have an end in mind that you're working toward, you can do it in such a way that it doesn't matter if the book lasts for 10 issues, 20 issues, or 30 issues, or 50, because you can always find your way to that end point. Um, if it's, you always have to make sure that that endpoint will still be satisfying in light of what you've written. But if you have that, um, and that's what we did with our, our man. I would have liked, everybody working on it would have liked for it to go longer, but it went 25 issues, which is not the worst. But uh, they gave us the last three issues to go where it was going to go. So, so. That felt very finished, uh, despite being canceled. Other times, yeah, it, probably early on there was more stuff that, yeah, I didn't get to finish the story. But that seemed back then more like uh, just part of the job. You know, and you just write a comic till it's canceled. That's so sad. <laughs> like, I'm just thinking about that as, as someone who, on the other flip side, enjoys reading comics. And, you know, you get so caught up and, and captivated by a tale just for it to just have this this end, like, sudden and jarring end. Right, right. Well, you know, it wasn't until Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, and then after that, um, Sandman... Uh, Grant's Doom Patrol. It wasn't until those books that an ongoing series would have an ending. They would just be canceled. Gosh. Um, so you, they, they, and there usually wouldn't be an overarching storyline anyway. But uh, um, I think in American comics, Swamp Thing might be the first example of, of, uh, of, a, of a creator's uh, period on a character having a planned ending that's a great ending for the character whether it continues or not so goodness thank you for that uh kelly so as um as, as a comic book writer would you say that you have a scripting method that works the best for you or does it kind of depend on the creative team you're working with uh, well, the only difference in creative team is if I'm working with um, 
somebody more ex an artist who's more experienced, I will uh, I won't feel like I have to think about camera angles or something like that. Uh, I know they'll tell the story in an accomplished way, whether it's what I would have thought of or not. Sometimes when you're working with a less experienced artist, you want to spell out more because um, uh, they might find it helpful or they might need to lean on it. Um, with any artist, I try to let them know that uh, I'm not dictating anything. If they can think of a different way to do it, that's great. But uh, in terms of the script now, the, when I started, I would write. I would I would I would write the plot first, or I would write in a full script. I would write out the events in the um, panel description, and then I would get to dialogue. And I thought I was really doing it the perfect way. And then I I I collaborated on a story with Jamie Delano, and he would write the dialogue first, and then um, write the panel descriptions around that. And the story was just so much more human that way. It had so much more personality because you're starting from the personalities. And so I just switched to that way. And, and um, it's been easier and better. It's been easier to write comics and get better results ever since then because Jamie showed me that. Awesome. Yeah. Wow, that's that that is really interesting too that your your process developed. Yeah. Um I mean my fear was it would be too talky if I started with words, but it really isn't. It's just more personality driven. Awesome. Yeah. And so do you sort of it's just like uh um you know, kind of a page of dialogue that you then piece together or would you I, I guess I'm getting kind of specific here, but um Right. Yeah, would you say it's kind of like each individual scene and a little bit of description or what I'll do is I'll I'll um I'll think of I'll think of what the scene is and who the characters are and uh you know whether they're in opposition or what the situation is. And I'll just start writing what they would be saying to each other and I'll rewrite it and I'll get when I have it down to to a certain level, I'll uh look it over and see how many panels it would fit into. And then I'll see, well, is there a, I know where they are, is there, a, I've, I've got to have like a distinct picture for each of these uh, exchanges or each, you know. It, I mean, it would be so easy to write <laughs> screenplays or television or something because <laughs> it, not only do you have unlimited space, but you have, uh, you don't have to think of a new picture every 30 words of dialogue, you know. <laughs> Sit, they can just you can just sit them down in a cafeteria and have them talk for half an hour and and what it looks like is just none of your business you know yeah. but um with comics it's a little different so i i'll write out a bunch of dialogue i'll sort of parse it out into panels so that no one panel has too much of it but also you want like a rhythm and a flow so that, that there's always like a there's always a place to cut it off and start again that has the highest amount of drama or humor or wherever it is you're looking for. And then, of course, the, the last panel on a page is not just any panel ever. It's got to have like a, some hint of suspense or resolution 
no matter how slight, but it, it's got to have a reason to turn the page. So um, there's kind of a rhythm you get into with that. And uh, so once you once you've figured out what they're all saying to each other, and then you start to parse it into panels, you see how long this scene is. Will it fit with all the other scenes you want to do? And uh, uh, are there too many pictures? You don't want too many pictures on a page. You want room if there's a big reveal or something beautifully visual. You want room for a big panel there. And if you're revealing something, you want it to be on a left-hand page so that they see it when they turn the page, not before. Hmm. And um, so there's you're sort of juggling a lot of considerations in your head. And, uh, of course, space is the cruelest one. Yeah, awesome. Wow. That's uh, thank you for that. <laughs> so that is a lot of perspectives I hadn't considered. You know, you read comics and it's just it's you're reading it, you're enjoying it. It's hard to think of all of the little tiny intricacies that go into making it actually work. That's fabulous. Cool. <laughs> Kendra, what's your next question? I'd seen in one of the issues of The Wrong Earth that um, Dragonfly Man and Stinger were originally going to be more canine themed. And that changed because of someone else doing a canine themed superhero. Um, What's a little bit more information about that? Because I have an inkling of who the comic is, but I would love to know. Oh, it's a friend of Jamal's. I wasn't even clear on what comic it was. But he said, I don't want to step on my friend's toes. Can we do something else? And I said, absolutely. And then the comic became so much better because Jamal had just been to Japan and he brought back, like, he had dragonflies in his head because they have lore about dragonflies. And um, so that was the reason we used dragonflies. And it turned out so much better because you didn't have a joke on top of a joke. Like, if they had been dog heroes, it would have been a joke on top of a joke and probably not as funny because of that. Uh, I love I love humor that's told with a straight face. And um, so that was a huge, I think that was really huge for us when he came up with that. Yeah, because it would have changed the entire dynamic. Absolutely, absolutely. Although we did, he did... Uh, when he was a dog character, his um, <laughs> his kid sidekick was named Spike, and his mask was a black circle around one eye, <laughs> which was the idea of Frank Camuso, who uh, works with us. And uh, I always loved that. We'll have to do Spike someday in another context. <laughs> I would love to see, this is just a, a fan request that may, may be heard, but um, <laughs> I would think it'd be hilarious to see the alternates of them on one of the, the covers. Oh, of the dog version? Yes. Yeah, maybe. You never know. <laughs> <There's an idea>. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Kelly? So... What would you say is, if any, um, the most challenging character, the most challenging story that you've had to work on? Or was was there any story or, or character that just didn't work for a while before it did? Oh, that's a good question. 
Um, hmm. Hmm. I thought, well, I wrote Legion of Superheroes for a long time with other writers who were really great to have there. Tom McCraw, Mark Wade, Roger Stern, Carmela Merlo. Um, and I felt like it took me a long time uh, to like what I, what I was bringing to it. I felt like I was sort of uh, uh, learning how to do it in public. But, so that might be an example of it. I think there were some good stories early on, but, but uh, I, I feel like it got more confident after a year or so. Awesome, yeah. And Kendra? Is there anyone that you haven't worked with in the industry that you would love to? Oh boy, yeah. Let's see. Sure. Um, all kinds of people. Uh, some of them are dead, so that's probably not going to happen. But. <laughs> Unless revenants become a thing. Uh, uh, Steve Pugh draws uh, Billionaire Island for us. I always wanted to write a story that he would draw. Because um, uh, when we were, we first met uh, on Hellblazer, I was the assistant editor of Hellblazer, and he drew a few like amazing issues of that. And uh, uh, I've been in contact a bit with Jerry Ordway. I'm, you know, one of the great Superman artists of all time. He would be, it'd be something to work with now, wouldn't it? Um, that's two. That what? I think that would be amazing. Anything that they would bring to the table with you on board. Uh, it would be. It would be. Um, I was recently introduced uh, to Sergio Aragonis. That would be a thrill <laughs> to collaborate with him. Anyway, uh, there's a lot of great people out there. So actually, it's a very similar question, but is there a, a character or a, a storyline that you've wanted to work on that you haven't yet? You know, I never got to write Ben Grimm. Huh. It doesn't make any sense to me that I never got to write him. <laughs> <laughs> I loved him so much growing up. So, yeah, that was an easy answer. <laughs> that would be really cool. Well, I mean, hey, Marvel, that's, you know, there you go. There's an idea. <laughs> awesome. I used, to, I used to love the Wasp, too, because she had, uh, she was a spark plug. She had a sense of humor. Yeah. And uh, that made her really interesting to me. I liked, I liked her, you know, there's a, I would, when I was little, I would read Spider-Man, and he would punch a guy and say something f that was supposed to be funny, and I would laugh out loud. I just love that stuff so much. Like I saw, years and years later, I saw this cartoon where Bart Simpson is reading Radioactive Man, and Radioactive Man makes some lame joke, and Bart is just holding his stomach laughing. <laughs> Remember how that felt? It was great. Awesome, absolutely. Kendra? Would you ever see any of your entities done in a style like what Harley Quinn has done with the animated series? Oh, 
You mean like in on TV or in comics? Correct. Would any of you would of any of the ones that you've written for which one would you think would be best for something like that? Oh, for animation? Mm-hmm. Oh, gee. I think well maybe Wrong Earth. It's pretty colorful. It's got a lot of imagery going on in it. Um, although I think it would make a nice live action too. But that's I rarely think about that stuff because I have no control over it. <laughs> but um, it would be it would be a thrill. It would be thrilling. I think that's where my head went. I would I would love to see the wrong earth just set free in an animated universe. I think it looks <laughs> itself well. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. It would look nice. Kelly. So what would you say is the, um, if there is one, the most important lesson in storytelling that you've learned throughout your career? The most important is always show, don't tell. Mm. It's a visual medium. And um, you don't you don't want to write like a radio drama <laughs> for, <laughs> for a comic because... Uh, I mean, sometimes it does work, but it probably won't, you know, and uh, it's it's important. And another quote I like from somebody, I wish I remember who said it, which is, uh, nobody got into comics to draw office furniture. <laughs> so you got to really concentrate on, on what would make a good picture and uh, a bunch of good pictures. and. and Give your artists that because, uh, uh, you know, they want, <laughs> we're, we, we love monsters and rockets and uh, people in spandex and people flying and jumping and falling. And it's, it, it's just so much better for the artist than two people sitting in two chairs talking. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is totally fair. That is what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kendra? I know we talked about characters that you would love to write for, which was Ben Grimm, but is there actually a series that you would you would say, hands off, I don't want to write for that? Hmm. There pro- yeah, there, there would be. There would be, like... Um, because I'm from the generation I'm from, I wasn't a child when things like, you know, uh, G.I. Joe, and Thundercats, and Transformers and stuff came out. So I, I would have very little sense of wonder to bring to those because I, I, I was just never into them. I was too old. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of stuff that came after my development that uh, I wouldn't know how to love nearly as much as the people who grew up with them. That's a very fair answer, and, and honest. I appreciate that. Kelly? Good God, I, I do really like that answer, that you wouldn't know how to love. That sounds so it's polite. <laughs> I love that. You, you just got to, thanks, but you got to, you have to, you know, you have to have something to bring to a character. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so actually, to 
totally, totally loaded question here. It may be impossible to answer, but uh, do you have a a favorite superhero? And I mean, maybe, maybe it is Superman, but do you have one that is like, this is, you know, my guy or my gal? Well, you know, Superman is the ideal. I mean, I, I would be, be betraying my five-year-old self if I picked anyone else. <laughs> and my five-year-old self is in charge in this matter. But <laughs> I think Spider-Man is the hero, like, perfected in so many ways. Just the personality and the look and the powers. and There's just so much about Spider-Man that's good. Um, and I love... I love... Uh, the Doom Patrol is just so weird. And I would read Doom Patrol when I was a kid and just get unsettled. <laughs> Loved that. So it's hard to pick one. Yeah. There's so many. And it's like I could never be, when I was a kid, I couldn't be a DC fan or a Marvel fan because why? They're both there. Yeah. They're both different. And I could enjoy both for different reasons. And so it, it it is hard to pick one. You could ne- I could never tell you my favorite artist because, or my favorite writer because there's just you couldn't pick one. Yeah, yeah, that's completely fair. And I, yeah, I I would say props to five year old Tom because <laughs> it, it's good to still be in charge. I think. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Kendra. I know that it's going to be hard to pick a favorite, but is there a story that has stayed with you? Whether it's one that you've written, whether it's by a separate writer, one that has haunted you. Yeah, oh, that's great. That's a great question. When when I was little, like say six years old, reading my first kind of books, um, there were a couple that had some really heavy themes going on and really heavy drama for a kid that age. And that stuff stays with me. There was an issue with Superman where, um, and this wasn't even an imaginary story. This was actually canonical. But when he is in his rocket to come to Earth when he's a baby, uh, it the rocket was uh, uh, bumped into, kind of harmlessly, it bumped into this uh, comet or something that deflected off it, but it created a double of him and his rocket that was like made of energy. And his double landed also in the United States, and the rocket was found by uh, two gangsters who were married to each other, and they raised him to be evil. <laughs> and he became super menace. And uh, it's a three-part story, and it goes, like, part one is when he's a, ch- a little kid, when he first gets discovered by them. Part two, he's a teenager, like Superboy, and he knows about Superboy, but Superboy doesn't know about him. And in part three, he's an adult. And it ends with, like, these gangsters are t- raising him to be evil, and they're pretending to love him. And when he... It ends with him finding out that they don't really love him. And he goes and kills them and himself. Oh, wow. Which is... <gasps> wow. Which I read when I was six years old, and I still think... 
because nobody gives a six-year-old that to read. Right. <laughs> oh my God. And of course, <laughs> that's not where uh, I thought that was going. It was a really abstract. Like they all, like it, it's not like he used a knife or anything. Like, like the, all three of them were turned into energy. But while they're while he's doing it to them, they're like screaming and stuff. It was nuts. But it also really sold because just before. Just as he's starting to kill them, they're saying, we never loved you. We hated you. You're horrible. Like to this kid they raised. And it was just the most intense thing I've ever read to this day, probably. <laughs> I recommend oh it to everyone. I think it's Superman number, I want to say 138. And I'm probably not too far off. Wow. It's the greatest. That would haunt me, too. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that's, huh. <laughs> 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 well, Here, six-year-old. Right? <laughs> Read this. Right, yeah, my, my parents were concerned about some Disney movies, but that's like, huh, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess going off of things that have haunted you and hopefully, but, but maybe so, hopefully a, a little bit less, um, the devastating um (laughs) (laughs) would you say that there is um you know from conventions or just interaction with fans is there an interaction that has stood out to you as either the most moving or i you know let's even go as far as the most disturbing like is there um you know are there moments like that that really resonate with you i'll tell you the one i'm most ashamed of (laughs) (laughs) i i did a show one time in, I think it was the early O's. And in the 90s, in the late 90s in particular, I had years where I wrote a lot of comic books. And I mean a lot of comic books. And um, this guy, I was signing at this small show, and this guy came up to my table, and he handed me this comic and said, would you sign this, please? And I looked at it, and I said, I'm sorry, I didn't write this. And his face fell, and he said, "But it, yes, you did, and it's my favorite." <laughs> <laughs> so I had, I looked at it, and I just started faking. I'm like, "Oh yeah, this. I don't know what I meant. Yeah, I love doing this one. Oh look at this, and you know, and, oh, it was so great working with this artist." And I signed it for him, and I'm like, and then he, I think I managed to convince him that I remembered it, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> It's bound to happen, though. If you work on it, that many titles, that's, you know, some parents call their kids by the wrong name. It just happens. Yeah. <laughs> the guy was just so crushed, though, when I didn't remember it. I, I hope I managed to fool him. Yeah. Yeah. But he's not listening now. <laughs> Kendra? Stay, though. Because he went from the lowest of lows to, yes, you remember writing this. Yeah, exactly. Well, just a little blip on the radar. No big deal. <laughs> no, exactly. It was just an interaction. <clears throat> it was an interaction that uh, I am ashamed of, but also kind of think is funny. Yeah. Yeah. If someone were to bring you to to Ahoy, um, a story or a concept, what is something that you look for and what is advice that you would give someone who's thinking about submitting? Well, the best, play, the best way to submit to us right now is, you know, um, 
we not only do comics, but the back of our comics is filled out with short stories like prose fiction and uh, prose nonfiction and poetry. We've even had like recipes and crossword puzzles. Because what we want to do, we want, if you buy one of our comics, we want you for your whole lunch hour. Uh, so we put a bunch of stuff in there for you to read. And these, we are most uh, likely to accept uh, one of those pieces, like a, uh, a prose text piece. We have more, a lot of opportunities for that. Uh, not that many opportunities uh, for different comics. We're a small company and we only publish like three or four at a time. And, uh, but if I, at our website, comicsahoy.com, um, there's a submissions portal. If you scroll down all the way on the main page, you'll see the word submissions. And you can go there and uh, if you have a short story that's anywhere from 750 to say 1500 words uh, we'll gladly read it and we might uh, be able to, to buy it from you we'll rent it you'd still own it and uh, uh, it's also easier we have more jobs like that to hand out with illustration too because we get all of those stories illustrated so that's the best way <clears throat> Oh, I'm officially tempted. Oh, by all means. <laughs> by all means. <laughs> I do a lot there of are times, fiction, so. There are times when the um, submission portal is open and times when it is closed, but keep checking back. I don't know what it is now. I'll have to keep an eye on on that, but thank you for that. That's Sure. <laughs> that's exciting. So my next question would be, um, and it, actually what, what you just said ties into it perfectly because there's, you know, you, you guys don't just do comic stories, but prose and poetry and nonfiction. What aspect would you say of the the general writing process and sort of the, the craft of writing um, do you find the most fulfilling or, or gives you the most joy? There was a, I wish I could remember who it was. There's a writer who says, uh, who said that their favorite part of writing was having written. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of a that camp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but while I'm, there are times when I'm writing where I, where an idea or a line or a character bit occurs to me that, that entertains me and really propels me to keep going. And I love those moments. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you have, is is there a specific line you remember that still kind of every once in a while you look back and you're like, oh yeah, that was the one? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. Again, I try not to. One time, when I was, before, years before I started writing comics, I went to a comic book convention. And there was a, I went to, there was a writer there who was writing a comic I was reading, and he was he was really outgoing and approachable and talking to fans, and he's talking about his story that's out this month, and he's making a point about it, and he said, and, I, and then I opened it with this caption, and he recited the entire caption. It must have been like 40 words. Wow. 
And I was like, I don't want to be that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Where I could just walk around, recite my own work. (laughs) Verbatim, like it's poetry or Shakespeare or something. I'm like, I don't ever want to be that guy. So I I try not to remember things I wrote. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) fair enough. That's, yeah. (laughs) Kendra? I got to admit that one of my favorite lines from yours is, as an opener that immediately caught attention, was, why do you hate yourself? (laughs) Thanks. And that lends to my question, because when it comes to your writing, you may not want to remember it and and go with the Elsa theme of let it go. But is there (laughs) any comic that you feel like you have left a part of yourself with? Any bit of your writing? Hmm. You hope a lot of it. I'm not saying I'm, I I like to go back and look at my work. I love reading my work. I think it's it's fun to read because I wrote it. But uh, so I don't really leave it behind or abandon it. I just don't want to bore people with it. I try not to memorize my captions. You know, it's uh, so you try you try to inject something yourself into everything. I think there's a lot of me in penultimate, um, unfortunately. And uh, Our Man, I think, I identified with greatly some of the characters in there. Uh, Wrong Earth, even. You, you have to put, I try to put in feelings into the story that I know what they feel like. So uh, they'll be part of me and everything, I hope. That makes those comics a lot more sad. <laughs> like, I don't mean that in a mean way or, I mean, yes, in, in, in a ha-ha, I guess. But I mean, there's, there's a lot of, of pain there. And, I mean, I guess to, to bounce back from that, is it at least cathartic for you to release those types of emotion? Listen. If, if you can monetize your self-loading, <laughs> you're winning the game. <laughs> I think that is the best advice I've ever heard. I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Love it. You are full of great advice. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so I, I guess my question would be... Um, are there specific, you know, rituals that you adhere to as far as when or how you write or kind of, you know, are you someone who needs a specific sort of spot in music or can you just kind of, you know, wherever, whenever? Yeah, no, I'm not a wherever, whenever person. I like to do it at my desk and I like to know that there'll be some uninterrupted time in front of me to really concentrate and, um, I'm not really much of like a coffee house writer, although I can be if I have to be. But I really like that big block of time all by myself at my desk. And, uh, I do like music. I often remember to <laughs> play it when I'm writing, and sometimes I forget to. But uh, it it has to be instrumental music. I can't have lyrics. Yeah. bouncing off me or I can't think about the words I'm writing 
Yeah, awesome. Yep, that that is totally fair. Um, Kendra? One of my favorite questions to ask for specifically writers is there are a lot of tropes that are out there that are consistently used. Um, What is one that you think is entirely overused and what is one that you don't think is used enough? I don't like it when superheroes are in costume and they call each other by their secret identity names. I really hate that because what if someone hears them? But it's all they do anymore. I'm so tired. I hate hearing Superman call Batman Bruce. And I hate (laughs) anyone call Superman Clark. He's Superman. No one wants to read Clark. Um... So that that one obviously gets my goat. <laughs> yeah, just this sort of like you you I understand you want um, characters to have relatable feelings, but superheroes are not just like regular people waiting for a bus, and um, uh, it feels like. They get written that way sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you said that one, too, because I actually, I the, that is one thing that has stood out to me in just, in general, a few comics I've read, where it's like, well, you, I know you're in the air, but you're in the middle of a city, and why are, why are you calling him Bruce or Clark? Or I mean, <laughs> I, I guess it doesn't matter so much with Diana and Wonder Woman, but yeah. <laughs> You know, the moment that's understandable. Like I, I, I could understand that type of trope where they're, they get this huge, big emotion and it just bursts out. But no, in common conversation, I, I'm right with you guys. It's oh look, it's Billy, Ali, Wally, Donna, Diana, and Diana. <laughs> <laughs> that just rolled right off the tongue. I love it. <laughs> I was breaking my rule. I was breaking my rule by not quoting my story. <laughs> so what would you say is um if if there is one, a piece of work that you are the most proud of that you would if if an alien landed on Earth tomorrow and was like, We need to see Tom Pyre's work immediately, what would you want to give them? I would love to believe that I haven't written it yet. Very nice, yeah. Yeah, no, that that is probably the best answer. Right, I'm just sitting here like, dang, I'm looking at, I'm, I'm literally looking at a list that boggles my mind. <laughs> I haven't written it yet. Whew. Yeah, that's, I, I have to say, your your roster is, I I think, one of the most impressive I've looked at. Just, it, I I mean, in general, from Vertigo to DC to Marvel to now with Ahoy, you have a such a robust um, you know, roster of not only titles you've worked on, but they're almost all iconic, you know, everyone knows this title sort of stories. So that's, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I look forward to the next one then. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's... it's it, you know, I got, I got, and I apologize. Go ahead. No, it, just, it does please the five-year-old in charge that I got to work <laughs> on so many familiar characters. And um, uh, 
none of them are iconic to do with anything about me. You know, they were already there, but it's they're like my friends and my work friends, and I love them. That's such a genuine like way to look at it. Like you, I, I to to go with what the kids say now. You are a cinnamon roll that we must protect. <laughs> I I've never heard that. I love that saying. <laughs> I mean, any question that we have had for you has had just this genuine, relatable, real answer, and it's really refreshing. Thanks. I appreciate it. I've read a lot of interviews with people that bored me to tears, and uh, people saying the same things that. They always say and that other people always say. So I've made an effort to uh, just try to, I don't know, keep myself awake as much as anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we appreciate that. We really do. Like, this has been probably the, not necessarily what I would put into the scope of an interview, but more of a conversation. Mm. Cool. Thank you. So much wisdom. I mean, <laughs> genuinely like fantastic wisdom I, I mean but of course you've literally run the the full scope of you know what any comic fan would consider like the uh you know kind of the the cream of the crop of comics it's, it's amazing i've been really lucky so i think i i'm running towards the end of my questions but is there anything on the horizon that you would say you're, and anything that you can share with us that you are very excited about? Or, you know, what what in the, the future is kind of that bright spot on your horizon? Oh, I have a bunch of them. Um, happily. It's great to be connected to this company. We have a couple books uh, that are going to be starting to come out in the summer that I'm thrilled to see this one called Snelson Comedy is Dying by Paul Constant and Fred Harper. Uh, and it's about a it's about a stand-up comedian who was young and edgy in the 90s and he almost got famous, but he didn't. And he's still a comedian. And all of his 90s edginess is unchanged and has dated really badly. <laughs> And it's a brilliant comic, and it's beautifully drawn, and I look forward to that so much. And we have Black Smith coming up, Black's, B-L-A-C-K apostrophe S-M-Y-T-H, by Eric Palicki, uh, written by him. And um, about a punk rock werewolf private detective. Oh. <laughs> it's, a punk, it's a great comic. Uh, my next writing project is something I cannot talk about, but I'm thrilled to be doing it. And uh, I think it's something you'll see next year. Awesome. So 2022. Yeah. Oh, it's it's going to keep me up at night. <laughs> <laughs> keep me up. Dude, let's go. But probably more so. But okay, a punk rock were werewolf. Private detective. I Private to, oh my God, I need to write that down. I love that. <laughs> it's great. All right, well, awesome. Now I have a bright spot on my horizon as well. Um, Kendra, what about you? I do have one one question about a previous project. Back in 2007, you 
um, you worked on the Steve Colbert, Colbert's Tech Jansen. Yeah, with, with John Lehman. Yes. What was that like? That was fun. I love working with John. I don't know if you see us on Twitter, but we have a feud. Um, <laughs> that we, we just say the meanest things to each other on Twitter. And uh, we... We um, we worked on that one together, and it was it was fun because our sense of humor is really compatible. We really made each other laugh. Um, we had one meeting over the phone with Stephen Colbert, and he was every bit as nice and funny and smart as you'd want him to be. And uh, and we loved his old show, The Colbert Report. We both were fans of it, and it was it was a fun experience. It would have been nice to do more of it, but uh, we've had plenty of other things to do since, so that's fun. Is there a question that you haven't been asked in an interview that you have an answer for? Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Can I borrow 50 bucks? No. Fair enough. <laughs> I think that, that that is all that I have. Kelly, what about you? I'm gonna, huh. Well, all right. So there goes my 50 bucks question. Um, <laughs> God, you just, you have such a, a cool life. I am, I'm truly envious. Thank you. Um, you know, I, my last thing isn't even... Even it's not even so much a question, but um, I guess it can be. One of the titles that I, you know, I noticed um, in in your list of books that you edited was Shade the Changing Man, which is one of my favorite comics that I I, I don't even really remember how I came across it, but a few years ago I you know happened on the the trade paperback somewhere of of I think the first arc I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, what was because that that is such a, a complex series and so even visually just so there's so much going on um I mean what was that like to edit how you know how was that process that was really fun that was the first book I was in on uh pretty much from the ground floor I I think I remember Karen on the phone with Pete Milligan who wrote it um just uh critiquing the first for taking the proposal I think so I think I was there on the ground floor so I, I had a special for that book and Pete is such a wonderful writer and we we just published happy hour the, the final issue that comes out today and that's Peter Milligan with uh, Michael Mountain on that's another weird trippy view of America like shade was so um, uh, that was amazing to work on because I learned so much from Pete and Pete was one who was really open to um, just talking stories out with me and stuff. I was the assistant editor and he would ask me for ideas and listen to them and uh, really made me feel like an equal. And Chris Bacello's art on that was just so trippy. And we had those Brendan McCarthy covers. Whoa. They, they were just they would come, they'd be these huge pants that would be shipped to us, and they would be just so 
they looked like you were on drugs. You felt <laughs> you were on drugs to look at them. You know, he went on to do so many great things. Like, um, he was really the, the mind behind uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, wow. All the wow. designs and all the, the insane imagery, like a Martin Joe in the water coming down the, the cliffs and everything. That's all Brendan. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I think out of out of um, you know the the initial shade arc. I think the thing that stands out in my mind the most is that giant uh, JFK Sphinx. That, that's just to I this day that that's still so, stuck in my head. <laughs> I love that so much. That was so great to be a part of. It's so brilliant. I mean, it's I. That's why I'm saying this is hardly a question because it's just more of oh my god, I loved that so much and thank mm. you. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, thank Pete. I mean, that's, that's that was an amazing idea. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. But uh, I do recommend Happy Hour. He really stuck the the landing on it, and so amazingly well. And we'll have a collected edition of it coming out soon. Awesome. Yeah, we for sure have to check that out. Right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Already typing it in. Um, cool. Cool. That's a fun. Thank you for joining us again. It's been an absolute honor talking with you. Um, It's been great to talk to you. Where can everyone find you? Um, At Tom Pyre on Twitter. T-O-M-P-E-Y-E-R. At Ahoy Comic Mags. Because we're magazines with fiction in the back. Also on Twitter. And uh, I don't go to Facebook anymore um, because people uh, write too long. (laughs) (laughs) I'd rather have little short snippets. All right. Well, like I said, I know we both very much appreciate you coming and talking with us today. And we'll let you go so that that way you can make your other call. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Let's do it again someday. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much, Tom. Yeah. And Kelly, where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Kel Right. That's K-E-L-G-A-I-N-E-S-W-R-I-T-E. Um, you can find me on our regular DC Comics News weekly podcast. You can also find me on Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast and on DCN's YouTube doing DCN After Dark with my co-host, Tony Hasty. And what about you, Kendra? Uh, well, I can be found easiest on Twitter at Devour All Words or Devour All Comics. Um, I'm also on the DCN podcast as well as the Mad Love Harley Quinn. And I also do news and reviews pieces for uh, DKN or Dark Knight News and DC uh, Comics News. And if you've enjoyed this interview and want to hear any of the absolutely amazing talent that we have on other podcasts, uh, you can find us on Spotify, through the Apple Store, Android, anywhere that you can listen to a streaming service, you can find DC Comics News. Um, Our social media can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, even Tumblr. So please check us out. And as always... A read. More. Comics.
have a nice time.